Chapter 40 Almost instantly, I regretted what I'd done. I'd broken the rule, the biggie. I'd deliberately spoken to people. And not just a few words. I'd spoken a river of words. I wasn't like that frog in the mailbox. I hadn't broken the rule accidentally. I'd broken the rule because I wanted something. I wanted to matter. I wanted to do something meaningful before I died. I'd done it for myself. After the shocked babies and their equally shocked parents were safely back in their dens, I admitted my feelings to Bongo. I waited for her to yell at me. Bongo is good at yelling, extremely good. You might even say she has a gift. Why did I do it, Bongo? I murmured. Why? She flew to home plate. She stroked my rough bark with her sleek head. You did it, my wise old tree, because you had a story to tell. It was foolish. I said. I'm not supposed to be foolish. Not so foolish, Bongo said. Just hopeful. And everyone needs to hope, Red. Even wise old trees. Chapter 41 Morning emerged slowly, heavy with clouds. A light rain had fallen just before dawn, soothing my leaves, if not my mood. Oddly, the ground felt saturated. Spring was always muddy, of course, but this was unusual. It would make for a messy wishing day tomorrow. An early rising old gentleman with a bamboo cane approached. He paused to attach a small piece of blue paper to my lowest branch using a bit of twine. He didn't say his wish aloud, so I couldn't tell what it was, but he had a satisfied smile as he stepped carefully through the soggy grass. No doubt I'd be saying more wishes today. Many people came early to grab an easy to reach spot. This would probably be my last wishing day. How could it be that my first one, that long ago day with Maeve, still seemed as fresh in my heart as my conversation with Steven and Samar from the previous night? A car slowed to a crawl near the curb. I saw an arm, a blur, and then splat, something hit my trunk. Splat, splat, two more times, and the car roared off with a screech of tires. Bongo was the first to report on the damage. Raw eggs, she said. I'm assuming that didn't hurt. Didn't feel a thing, I said. Fresh baked bread, hairy spiders, and Big U ventured out to inspect the situation. Big U slipped under the police tape and licked one of the yokes sliding down my trunk. Mmm, she murmured. Raw, just the way I like them. Hey, Big, share the wealth! Harry Spider snapped as she and Fresh joined her. Agnes watched from her perch. I'd much prefer a squirming mouse pup, she said. It's all yours, ladies. What a nice surprise, Big U said between slurps. This is not nice, Bongo said. This is people at their worst. Still, said Harry Spiders, licking her paws, I'd be ashamed to let perfectly good egg goo go to waste. One creature's nastiness is another creature's nibble. Big U gave a satisfied burp, and the animals scampered back to their homes. The door to Stephen's house opened. He walked over to me, saw the eggshells scattered like puzzle pieces, and scowled. Samar was next, a backpack slung over her shoulder, and books clutched to her chest. She leapt over the muddy puddle and joined Stephen. Jerks, he muttered, gesturing toward the egg remains. 
sorry, Samar, but Samar held up her hand. Stephen, she said in a low voice, last night? Stephen nodded ever so slightly, his eyes locked on me. Last night, he repeated, as if they were speaking in code. The tree, the tree. You heard what I heard? Samar asked. I did. Samar looked right at Stephen. You heard the tree? I heard the tree. Samar gave a little nod. So it was maybe a trick? Somebody playing a joke on us, right? Or maybe we were both sleepwalking at the same moment, Stephen suggested. He nodded as if trying to convince himself. Yeah, sleepwalking for sure. Have you ever sleepwalked before? No, but there's a first time for everything, right? They stood there, looking at me expectantly, willing me to speak. At least that's how it felt. I stayed silent. I'd said my piece and I regretted it. Stephen, Samara said softly. Whatever happens, we can't tell a soul about this. Deal? Deal. Ever. Ever. Samara sighed. People would say we were crazy. And they'd probably be right, said Stephen. Samar jutted her chin at me. Tree, do you have anything to add? I didn't say a word. Samar and Stephen shared a smile. Figured it was worth a shot, she said. They headed off to school together. Stephen's father came out onto the porch. He was holding a cup of coffee. He caught sign of Stephen and Samar and frowned. A moment later, Samar's mother stepped out of the blue house. Her keys jangling, a briefcase over her shoulder. She followed her neighbor's gaze. Both parents watched in silence until Stephen and Samar, walking side by side, disappeared from view. Chapter 42 I didn't have much time to think about my mistake. We had a steady stream of visitors as the hours passed. Early wishmakers came throughout the day. A little girl who wanted 20 hamsters. The grocer down the street hoping for a summer of sweet peaches. The usual. The local reporter returned. She peeked at some of the new wishes hanging by my boughs and took a photo with the broken eggshells on my trunk. Sandy and Max came to remove the police tape surrounding me. Francesca joined them. Today she had Lewis and Clark on thin leather leashes. Each cat was wearing an embarrassingly sparkly harness. Francesca discussed the broken eggs with Sandy and Max while Lewis and Clark wove around her legs. I've got a tree cutter coming out later to give me an estimate, Francesca said. So you're definitely cutting it down? Sandy asked in what I like to think was a disappointed voice. Yep, no question. See that muck? All the water in the yard? Francesca pointed at the soggy lawn. Plumber told me this dang tree is plugging up some of the pipes. Least bit of rain in the yard turned into a giant mud puddle. Still, people are going to be sorry to see it go, Max said. He reached for Clark's leash and tried to unwrap Francesca. I know, it's a good old tree, but sentiment doesn't play the plumber. Sandy grabbed Lewis while Francesca attempted to unknot herself from the leashes. What about the animals and the birds that live in the tree, she asked. Ah, uh, that's what I'm using the old noggin, Francesca said. Every year the possums and owls and such vacate the premises on wishing day. Strangest thing. It's like they know it's coming. She hopped over the web of leashes. Suppose they don't like being disturbed. In any case, 
I'm hoping the cutters will come late tomorrow afternoon. Most of the wishing will be done by then. What will you do with all the wishes? Sandy asked. Put them in the trash when no one's looking. That's what I do every year. Whole thing's nonsense anyway. Max and Sandy looked at me sympathetically. I know, I know. I don't have a sentimental bone in my body. Francesca paused to address the cats, who were yanking her in opposite directions. If dogs can do this, why is it such a challenge for you two? She turned her attention back to the police. But it's time. More than time. Well, we're going to swing by tomorrow. Keep an eye on things. No lead on the person who carved that word. But with the eggs and people just generally riled and the cut down. Sandy shrugged. Couldn't hurt us to have us keep an eye on things. Thanks, Francesca said. Not necessary, but I appreciate it. Lewis and Clark caught a glimpse of Bongo and lunged for my trunk. Whoa, you crazy felines! Francesca cried, reining them in. They hissed at Bongo. She spread her wings menacingly and let her most let out her most ferocious caw. Lewis and Clark retreated for the safety of Francesca's arms. Once again, she was tangled. She was a tangled knot of leashes and cats. Sandy smiled. Maybe leave the cats at home tomorrow, Francesca. Chapter 43. That afternoon, I met my executioners. Not having teeth, I've never really understood the fear people seem to have of dentists. I've overheard conversation where the words root canal and cavity were used, but in tree world, those have different meanings. After seeing the tree cutters and their equipment, I understood. When a trunk carrying powerful chainsaws along with something ominously called a stump grinder shows up, well, you know you're in trouble. Mind you, an arborist is a great friend to trees. We need our limbs trimmed just the way you need to cut your fingernails and hair. Although for us, it's only once or twice a year and it's called pruning. I always feel especially elegant after a good pruning, but pruning is usually done with special shears that look like giant scissors or with a small saw on a long pole. Stump grinders are generally not part of the plan. It didn't help when, when the three men wearing orange hard hats went to Francesca's door and announced they were from Timber Terminator's Tree Service. I'm going to make a deposit on those silly hats, Bongo muttered. No, Bongo, I said, although the idea was tempting. Let's wait and see what's what. Maybe they're just here for some pruning. You really are an optimist. Francesca walked the men over this time without Lewis and Clark, and they discussed costs and timing. That's right, they talked about cutting me down, even as they enjoyed the shade from my lovely lums. Talk about insensitive. One of the men, he introduced himself as Dave, climbed a ladder to inspect my hollows. Agnes, Harry Spiders, and Big U eyed him warily, ready to defend their babies. You've got some critters here, ma'am, he reported. Yes, yes, I know, Francesca said. Every year like clockwork. Bongo flew up to a spot near Agnes. Just one deposit, she said under her breath. That's all I'm saying. Situation like this, we generally advise cutting in the late fall, less likely to disturb any nests. I've got that covered, Francesca nodded. Hands on hips. Animals and birds hightail it out of here every May 1st. Wishing day, you know. Dave scratched his stubby chin. Wishing day? 
People make wishes, put them on the tree. Animals and birds don't like all the noise. If you could do this tomorrow afternoon, the timing would be perfect. You work on Saturdays? Sure do. Dave shook his head. Wishing day, he murmured. Now I've heard everything. Francesca nodded. She patted my trunk. Yeah, craziness. Can't believe I put up with it as long as I have. Chapter 44 Early that evening, Francesca stopped by the blue and green houses. My houses. One with a black door, one with a brown door. One with a yellow mailbox, one with a red mailbox. She knocked on each door. She explained her plans for me. Both sets of parents said they understood. They would be sorry to see me go, but it would be a relief to see an end to wishing day, wouldn't it? And my absence would mean more sunlight in their living rooms and fewer acorns underfoot. Okay, at least let me make a deposit on the parents, Bongo grumbled. More sunlight? The nerve! How about less oxygen, people? Less beauty? Thank you for defending me, Bongo, I said, but no depositing. Samar and Steven were not so understanding. They ran after Francesca as she crossed the lawn. Samar pulled on her sweater. You have to listen to us, Samar said. You can't cut down the tree. I can't, Francesca inquired. And why is that, dear? Because, Stephen said, panting, it's alive. I'm quite aware of that, Francesca said. It's a common trait of trees. She paused, peering down at the ribbon around Samar's neck. Why, I know that key, she said. I recognize the ribbon. A crow gave it to me. No kidding. Smart birds, crows. Samar slipped the ribbon over her head and handed the key to Francesca. Oh, I don't want the old thing, she said, giving it back. You can keep it. It just made me remember. Oh, it's not important. It opens a diary. My great-great-grandmother Maeve kept a journal after she moved here. So that's what it's for, Samar said. Where is it, Stephen? The journal. Attic, maybe? Or no, it's probably in the shed behind Samar's house. Got a lot of old family stuff stashed away in there. She gave a smile. Unless it all floated away. Backyard's pretty wet right now, which, by the way, is one of the reasons it's time for this tree to say goodbye. Samar wiped away tears. You don't understand this tree. It's almost like it's human. That's sweet, Francesca patted Samar's head. But honey, it's just a tree. She squared her shoulders. Now I must go feed Lewis and Clark. I can hear them complaining from all the way over here, and I've got a busy day ahead of me tomorrow. As she moved to leave, Stephen stepped in front of her. Before you go, he said, his voice firm, just listen. He turned to me. Say something, he instructed. Please, tree, Samar pleaded. I kept silent. What more was there to say? Francesca looked from Stephen to Samar and back again. Children, she said. Perhaps those video games you play have impacted your brains. Talk, tree, Stephen said. Silence. It can talk, Samar told Francesca. Real words. It told us a story about Maeve. Francesca, for just a moment, hesitated. She looked at me. You mean metaphorically, of course. The tree seemed to talk to you. The leaves whispered and so on. It told us about the hollow and the baby. Francesca blinked. The baby? Yes, 
Samar said. The abandoned baby. Again, Francesca paused. Of course, I've told that family story before. You probably heard it from a neighbor. Stephen shook his head. He heard it from the tree. Oh my, said Francesca. She waved a hand in front of her face. You're wearing me out, you two. I am so very glad my parenting days are behind me. Listen here. You get a good night's sleep, understand? Or maybe even some counseling. As quickly as she could, Francesca made her way across the lawn, her shoes caked with mud. Francesca, Stephen called. It's just a tree, dears. Repeat after me. It's just a tree. I was wondering if we could look for that diary. She glanced over her shoulder. Maeve's journal? Be my guest, if it's not underwater by now. She held up her palms. Just no more tree craziness, you hear? When Francesca was back in her house, Stephen and Samara looked at me accusingly. Why didn't you talk? Samara demanded. Because it was foolish. Because I wasn't supposed to. Because... Looking defeated, Stephen and Samar trudged away. They hadn't gone far when Samar paused and turned to Stephen. Something happened today, she said. People at school were being weird, talking about me, whispering, passing notes even. She narrowed her eyes. You didn't tell anyone, did you, about what happened last night? Of course not. Then I wonder what was going on. You're probably imagining things. I don't think so. I mean, I'm used to people talking about me and being mean, but this was different. Let's just say that things aren't always what they seem. Steven smiled sympathetically. Come on, let's go check out that shed. I watched the two of them head towards Samar's backyard. They were talking, laughing, becoming friends, perhaps. Maybe I hadn't been so foolish after all. Chapter 45. Trees don't sleep. Not like people do or animals, but we do rest. Unfortunately, that night's rest eluded me. I was filled with questions about the coming day, of course. But most of all, I didn't want to miss a moment of what little life I had left. I wanted to drink the stars. I wanted to feel the fuzzy wings of the owlets. I wanted to stretch my roots just a tiny bit farther before the night was through. I wanted to indulge in some quiet contemplation about life and love and what it all meant. I wanted to philosophize. I have been thinking, I said to Bongo. There's no point in my worrying about tomorrow. It will come soon enough. Red, Bongo said. Too much wise old tree. Bongo paused. She looked at me for a long time. Never, she said. Never, ever too much wise old tree. Bongo settled onto home plate. The world was quiet and calm. Want to hear a tree joke? I asked. Is it funny? Probably not, I admitted. Then probably no. What's a tree's least favorite month? I don't know, what month? September, I paused. Because you see, red, Bongo interrupted. As always, no need to explain. We didn't speak much after that. Turned out I didn't need to talk about life and love and what it all meant. It was enough to watch the sky freckled with stars, to smell the sweet wet earth, to listen to the beating hearts of the little ones I could keep safe, at least for one more night.
Chapter 46 Saturday morning dawned clean and cool. Even before the sun made itself known, the animals and owls departed the safety of my limbs. Each family had found a new home, all in nearby trees on the same block. The skunks were going to remain under their porch. It made me happy to know that everyone would be staying in the neighborhood. One by one, they nuzzled me, whispering their goodbyes. The babies sniffled, especially Harold and Rose Petal and Flashlight. The parents tried to put on brave faces, but their trembling voices gave them away. It was awful, but I was glad to get get it over with. I've always hated goodbyes. Bongo, for her part, insisted on staying with me to the bitter end. I knew better than to argue with her. By six in the morning, Stephen and Samar were sitting together on Samar's porch. By seven, Sandy and Max had arrived. They parked across the street and sat in their cruiser, sipping coffee and eating donuts. By eight, three local reporters had arrived, armed with microphones and fancy equipment. They took video of the word leave. They talked about its meaning, about how it had changed the feel of a neighborhood. They also talked about me, the doomed wish tree. I didn't like the word doomed, but I had to admit it was an accurate reporting. Francesca came at 8.30, carrying a cup of tea and dragging a small wooden ladder, the one she put out every year for the wishmakers. She went back home and promptly returned with Lewis and Clark on their kitty leashes. They were not cooperative, and the wishes began. A toddler on her dad's shoulders, reaching high. An old woman, aided by two young girls. Neighbor after neighbor, many of whom I'd seen pass by over the years. Wish after wish after wish. Some on scraps of colorful fabric, many on paper tied with a ribbon or a string, a few socks, two t-shirts, and one pair of underwear. At first, people came in small groups, or one by one, but then something changed. The trickle of people became a deluge. Many of them were kids from the elementary school, but there were parents and teachers too. A dozen kids, 50, 100, and more. Every person seemed to be carrying an index card. Each card had a hole punched in it, with a piece of string looped through the hole. Stephen high-fived many of them, hugged his principal, waved to his teacher. Smarja sat on the steps with her parents, a quizzical expression on her face. One by one, the children tied their wishes to me. The principal and assistant principal and janitor and teachers all helped. My bows had never been more laden. My heart had never been more hopeful. Because as each child, as each neighbor, as each stranger placed a wish upon me, they looked at Samar and her parents and all said the same thing. Stay. Chapter 47 Within an hour, I was covered with the word stay. Extra wishes lay on the ground beneath me, piled like blossoms. Wishes made their way onto the porches, the railings, the sidewalk. After 216 rings, I thought I'd seen it all. Turns out, you're never too old to be surprised. Soon it became clear that the stay wishes had been Stephen's idea. With the help of his teacher, Stephen's whole class had secretly worked much of the previous school day making the index cards. Word spread quickly about the project. Before long, the whole school had joined in. So this was your idea? Samar asked Stephen. I had a lot of help, he said. It's a miracle we kept it a secret from you. Samar looked at her parents. 
I don't know if this will change anything, she said. Stephen looked at his parents. Me either. Thank you, though, Samar said, for trying. Stephen started to reply, but just then, the timber Terminator's truck pulled up. The end of my story was coming. Well, it had been a beautiful story. How lucky was I to have seen a day like today? But Stephen and Samar weren't giving up so easily. They ran straight to Francesca, who was busy untangling the kittens wound around her right leg. Please, Samar begged. You can see how much people love the wish tree. Please don't cut it down. Child, Francesca said firmly, it is time. Stephen pulled something from his jacket pocket. It was a small leather-bound journal. So you found it, said Francesca. In the shed? Yep, said Stephen, handing her the worn diary. It's a little damp, said Francesca. Samar pressed the key, its long ribbon dangling into Francesca's palm. You should read it. Maybe someday. How about now, Stephen urged. Francesca sighed. Ah, you children need a hobby, you know that? She put the key in the silver lock and the journal clicked open. The pages were yellow, the ink faded. Let me guess, it's about a tree that can talk. Actually, it's about this neighborhood, Stephen said. It's about us. Please, Samar said. Dear, it won't change anything, Francesca said. Please, Stephen said. Okay, fine. Francesca rolled her eyes. Gotta wait for the tree guys to finish getting set up. Sure, I'll glance it over. Maybe then you'll leave me in peace. Dragging Lewis and Clark behind her, Francesca went to Samar's porch, sat on the top step, and began to read. Chapter 48 it isn't easy cutting down a big tree. It takes careful planning and people who know what they're doing. I'd seen neighboring trees cut down and I knew how things went. While Sandy and Max moved people to a safe distance, Stephen's parents watched from their porch and Samar's from theirs. Meanwhile, the tree people put ropes around my trunk and consulted with one another. A man and a woman carried over a huge chainsaw followed by the stump grinder. The grinder looked a little like a hungry animal Actually, it looked a lot like a hungry animal. All those critters gone? Dave called to Francesca. Haven't seen any, she said. Dave climbed a ladder and peered into my hollows as well as he could. He didn't seem to notice Bongo, who was hiding deep in the owl's former home. I sat patiently awaiting my fate. While around me, the world buzzed. A huge crowd filled with the old neighbors and new friends had gathered. It seemed to see me off. Near the curb, some kids were making music. I don't know if it was good music, but it was, most definitely, loud music. I realized it was the garage band Bongo liked. The whole thing was almost like a party, a going away party. There it was, surrounding me, my wild and tangled and colorful garden. It wasn't such a bad way to leave the world, I decided. Not bad at all. Chapter 49. Dave had a megaphone and through it, he reminded the crowd to stay behind the barriers that had been erected. This is a big tree, folks, he said. 
And when it goes, we don't want anyone else going with it. Bongo, I said in a voice that only she could hear. You need to get to a safe place. You heard him. I'm a big tree. You don't want to be in the way when I fall. I'm not going anywhere, she replied in a stubborn whisper. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. But I'm staying with you, Red, and that's final. Dave turned to his co-workers. Okay, let's get this show on the road. Please, Bongo, I said softly but urgently. The saw moved closer. I waited, expecting to hear the painful roar of the chainsaw engine. Instead, a small but intense sound filled the air, something like a puppy growl mixed with a kitten hiss. It was a baby possum, darting through the huge crowd across the muddy lawn, past Dave and his crew, Around the massive saw, beneath the stump grinder, and finally triumphantly up my trunk was none other than Flashlight. He climbed straight to his former hollow and settled there, his tiny head poking out. He was panting and trembling and hiccuping, but he didn't seem to be in any danger whatsoever of fainting. I missed you, Red, he said in a voice so small that only Bongo and I could hear it. Hold off on the saw, Dave yelled. Some dang animal just ran up the trunk. Bongo popped out of her hollow. Flash, she hissed. You can't be here. It's dangerous. They're about to, you know. You're here, Flash pointed out. Across the grass streaked Terry spiders with her other babies trailing. She was straight to the opossum hollow, where she proceeded to scold Flash as she snuggled him close. In the sky, a little herald suddenly appeared, frantically flapping his wings like a fuzzy butterfly. Agnes and the rest of her group followed. They settled into their old home as if they'd never left. Bongo moved to home plate to make room for the owls. The ewes came next, trotting across the lawn. Last to join the group was the skunk family who quickly scrambled up my trunk. Seven possums, four raccoons, five owls, and six skunks had waddled, scooted, dashed, and fluttered from their various homes just to see me off. My residents, my friends. The crowd was delighted. People applauded. They cheered. They laughed. Francesca, straining to get a look, accidentally let go of the kitten's leashes, allowing Lewis and Clark to escape. They ran straight to me, clambering up my trunk to join the gang. It wasn't all perfection. The babies and parents were grumbling, but softly enough that none of the humans could hear. Ouch! muttered hot buttered popcorn. Your tail's in my mouth! cried one of the ewes. You smell like skunk, someone complained. I am a skunk, came the reply. Mom, asked Harold, should I be afraid of a cat? As a rule, yes, said Agnes, but this is a special circumstance. It took some effort, but eventually the entire group settled in together above the high swishes. They gazed down calmly at the fascinated crowd below. One of the tree cutters took off his helmet and scratched his head. This just don't happen he said to Dave. Those animals ought to be eating each other. It's some kind of crazy critter miracle, said another worker. He pulled out a smartphone. This is going on Facebook. Lots of other people seemed to have the same idea. Cameras clicked away, ignoring the barricades. The reporters dashed over, microphones extended as if they were hoping to interview the animals. Bongo, always a bit of a ham, was happy to comply. Chip, please! She said to the microphone, waving beneath her. Dave gestured helplessly at Francesca. 
What is up with the menagerie, lady? How are we supposed to cut this tree down? Francesca, wiping away tears, stood. She put her arms around Stephen and Smar. Slowly, they made their way across the muddy grass. When she reached me, she pulled a bookmark from Maeve's journal before handing the book to Stephen. It was a strip of cloth made of the blue-striped fabric, frayed and faded. It was Maeve's wish. Carefully, Francesca tied it to my lowest branch, already crowded with wishes. She stared long and hard at the animals. Lewis and Clark purred happily. The crowd quieted. The only sound was the rustling of my leaves. Finally, Francesca spoke. Look, I don't do speeches. That's not my way. She patted my trunk. But here's the thing. Until today, I'd almost forgotten how important this old tree is to my family's story. And from the look of it, she pointed to my residence. It's important to a few other families as well. Many people smiled and a few laughed. I hate this world, Francesca continued, running her hand over my carved bark. Hate it. My great-great-grandmother Maeve would have hated it just as much. Here in this neighborhood, we're better than this. She looked over at Samar's parents. We don't threaten people here. We welcome them. Francesca reached for Samar's hand. This tree is staying put, and I hope your family will too. Chapter 50 That night, many hours after the crowd had scattered, Samar slipped out of the front door of the little blue house. Stephen, who'd been watching from his bedroom window, joined her moments later. They sat silent beneath my wish-laden boughs. The slightest breath of wind sent the index cards fluttering like huge moths. Moonlight was everywhere, it seemed, on the wishes, on my branches, on the downy-headed owlets, and the upturned gazes of Stephen and Samar. How beautiful we all were, bathed by the soft and silver light. Do you think your family will stay here? Stephen asked, after everything that's happened? I don't know, Samar said, but I sure hope so. The breeze kicked up, cards chattered, ribbons danced, a scrap of notebook paper loosely tied with red yarn to my lowest branch broke free. Samar snatched it as it swooped past. She squinted at the scribbled writing. Then she stood, carefully tying the paper back onto my branch. What was the wish for? Stephen asked. An invisible robot that does homework? Mm, seems unlikely, Stephen replied. True, Samar leaned against my trunk and smiled, but then so does a talking tree. Chapter 51 If this were a fairy tale, I tell you there was something magical about that wishing day. That the world changed and we all lived happily ever after. But this is real life, and real life, like a good garden, is sometimes messy. Some things have changed, some things haven't. Still, optimist that I am, I'm feeling hopeful about the future. Samar's parents decided not to move, at least not for a while. Stephen and Samar have become good friends. Sometimes they do their homework at the base of my trunk. Their parents still don't talk to one another. I'm not sure that they ever will. The police never found the boy who carved the word leave into my trunk, but a couple of weeks ago, I saw him sauntering by. I pointed him out to Bongo. Let's just say he made a very large deposit that day. All my residents are back where they belong, safe in their hollows. Still, they argue sometimes, but they haven't yet eaten one another. 
Francesca applied to the city to make me a heritage tree. That means I'm protected forever. She's also on a first-name basis with a local plumber who's learning to deal with my pushy roots. Lewis and Clark still haven't figured out how to walk on leashes. Bongo's made a new friend. His name is Harley Davidson. I suspect we may have some crow newbies in our future. As for me, I promised Bongo I will never be a Batinsky again. I told her that my meddling days are over, and yet here we are, you and I. What can I say? I'm more talkative than most trees. Still, if you find yourself standing near a particularly friendly-looking tree on a particularly lucky-feeling day, it can't hurt to listen up. Trees can't tell jokes, but we can certainly tell stories. The end.